This is the Skirted Roundtable. I'm Linda Merrill from Surroundings. And this is Megan Arquette from Beach Bungalow 8. And Joni Webb with Coat Detectives. And this week on the Skirted Roundtable, we are welcoming truly a legend of the interior design world and someone we're all very excited to talk to, Mario Bellotta. Thank you so much for joining us at the Skirted Roundtable. Well, it's great to be here. I'd well, like to know what's on the table. Do you have any desserts? <laughs> you know, cocktail, Friday afternoon cocktail. <laughs> it would be more fun if we were all together. So we are going to talk to you today about your illustrious career and the new book that you have out, which is we were all just commenting, um, is just wonderful and a great read and also funny. And we like to start with our guests to talk about your your background and your you know, your start and your influences in design that led you to achieve uh, what you've achieved in the last 50 years. So tell us about growing up on Staten Island. Did you make that 60? 50. 50. 50. Don't make me older than I am, please. I wouldn't dream of it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I grew up on Staten Island, which, as you know, is one of the boroughs of New York City. And years in those days, when I was a child, it was really like growing up in Kansas. In fact, uh, the movie Splendor in the Grass with Warren Beatty and Natalie Wood was filmed out there because it did oh. resemble so much the Midwest. And I loved it. That's I had a my great favorite time. My dad movie. Was, pardon me? That's my favorite movie. Oh, really? Splendor yeah, in the Grass, yeah. it, was, it was a great yeah. film. And it was uh, it was sort of like growing up when I was, I guess I was in my teens when I saw it. Uh, you weren't born probably, and you probably saw the replay of it years later. I mean, I like to think that I'm talking to a um, teeny crowd or whatever. But anyway, um, Staten Island was fun, and my parents lived in a uh, Tudor-style Tudor house, English Tudor uh I say Tudor style, a door in the front and a door in the back, I always like to say. But our house was decorated with deco furniture. They were into that. They were married in 34, and that was their period. And my father and mother didn't like antique furniture as they considered it secondhand. So I spent my younger years at my Aunt Mary's house, my mother's sister, who was she had a decorator from New York, and everything was sort of, sort of I would say, uh, chintzes. English combination continental. She had chinoiserie, you know, Chinese. She had uh, heck of white furniture, uh, Chickendale furniture, and she had um, drunken fife. And those are all styles you're probably very familiar with. And um, I loved her house, and I used to spend my every afternoon after school with her. And her daughter, her only daughter, I had a brother, but her only daughter used to spend her afternoons with my mother. So it was kind of strange. But it was great. And I used to go shopping with my aunt when I was 11, 12, 13. I bought my first antique, which was a a lap desk, antique lap desk from English from the 18th century for $11 on the layaway plan. Brought it home. My dad wouldn't let me bring it in the house. He said it was full of vermin. And I had to spray it, and I think more things crawled into it than out of it while it was in its three-day period in the garage. And um, many, many years later, um, I saw the same exact box when I was chairing the Winter Antique Show, and it was $4,500. And I had a, the dealer give me a photograph and took home a picture, and he said, um, what's that? That's your writing box. And I said, no, it's one like it. And I said, look on the back. And he saw the price, $4,500. Of course, he said, you were, you were stupid. You should have bought more, you know. <laughs> so you can never win. You know? But but I always loved houses, and my grandfather built houses, and his son was an architect. And my grandfather thought I would be the next architect uh, as his son died when I was five. But that's about as personal, um, you know, the, I mean, it just takes me back to, forming an education or, or like likeness of things and architecture at a very young age. So I was always aware of it. And um, I remember we went to my Aunt Lily's house. My uncle, my mother's brother, married an Irish girl, and being, being Italian, and we went uh, to see the house when they moved in, and they had a yellow and blue and white kitchen. And I said to my mother, why don't we have a yellow and blue and white room? And she turned and she said, it's too Irish. Well, I'll oh. take all the Irish I can get, <laughs> including a good old Irish stew. But anyway, um, 
that was that's what happened and i i i liked the things that my parents didn't have i had no appreciation for them and years later i was collecting and i had more things in the house stored away in their attic and my room that it looked like an antique shop and um, that's what happened and i loved chances aunt mary had summer chances winter chances and she was very enthusiastic she had a beautiful garden she was always winning a prize for her gardens and um that was it that was my the beginning of my life and it's still has stopped me i'm still loving chintz and everybody doesn't get chintz i mean they don't all have it in the jobs that i do but um i'm well known for it so chauncey howell who's on channel four live at five back in the 70s he saw a room that i did and he said prince wentz mince chintz he said the prince of chintz so that sort of <laughs> stuck with me and I never wanted to do a book, but uh, people came after me and wanted to do one, and I wouldn't do it. And finally, I realized at my firm age of, of uh, 47, or am I 48? I can't remember. Do girls know how I know. I it, am? Gets, it gets odd when, you're, odd when you're in your 40s. It's hard to tell yeah. when you're in your 40s. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's funny because I've been in business 50 years, so how could I, be? I couldn't be in my 40s. I think I'm a little older. But anyway, I finally did the book, and I decided to keep it light and funny, and it's the only book that I'll ever do. I'll never do another one. It was a lot of fun, but, boy, was it a lot of work. But it's full of funny stories and photographs of all of my work over the years that was published and some that weren't published. And um, it was fun. It was really fun. I'm really looking forward to it coming out. I designed the cover. It looks like a scrapbook. It looks like a Venetian, um, you know, sort of leather, well, leather-like binding and uh, uh, corners. And then the front of the book has a little tiny blue and white spatterware design. I've always loved that. And then the room in the middle is a a canopy bed that has a a zigzag pierre fairy fabric and yellow silk lining in the bed. And it's my favorite colors, yellow, blue, and white. So there you have it, 50 years. Fifty years now. On the, I love the cover of the book. I think it's really, it's great. Well, thank you. Did you thank pick? You. Did you pick the picture, or did the editor? I picked, did I picked or... everything, and I want to tell you. I, about a year and a half ago, when we started this uh, book business, I went in and I said, "This is what I'd like for the, the uh, cover of the book to be. I'd like it to look like a scrapbook, and I love this room because it's graphic, and it's my favorite colors, blue and white and yellow." And they went for it, and up until. Two months ago, the day before it went to press, they were trying to talk me into doing a multicolored cover. And I just said, no, this is what I want. I don't want anything else. I don't want chintz. I don't want anything. I just want this blue and white graphic book. And I saw it yesterday, a mock-up at a bookstore, and she, the uh, young lady put it on the shelf, and she said, my God, that book it just jumps off the shelf. It, and mm-hmm. then she couldn't see the inside because it was only a mock-up of a cover. But the inside is 432 pages of of um, cartoons and um, my career, my family, and everything I've done. And it, it's it's great to have done it, but a lot of work. So um, it is so such a good read. So many of these books, these design books come out, and they're really beautiful. And that's absolutely fabulous as is because we all love to just, you know, just flop down and well, soak in all I those agree. images. But but yours, on top of that, what yours brings is this really great, you're just the beginning, the story of you that you've written. You're a tremendous writer, very engaging and funny. And um, I, I, in fact, came on to the show a little late because um, – because I was so caught up in the story, I'm reading it, and Joni just called me and said, where are you? And I was like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm sitting here reading this, and I, I'm completely <laughs> consumed. So, I mean, I am reading, and I'm going back and looking at the images because I don't want to miss what, you know, the image on the page, but I want to keep hearing the story. So I think it's a really, um, as far as, you know, uh, design, books that designers have put out, this is by far one of the best because it offers so much. Well, you're very kind. Well, you see, it's, it's because I didn't. I don't take myself terribly seriously about this career, and I too feel the same way. You, I own lots of beautiful design books, but I never read. I never read what they have to say because basically, you're looking at pictures to get ideas and to enjoy what you're looking at, and so people don't read it. But this this one, they'll have fun reading because it's full of. You know, funny things that happened and different insights into things. And 
you know, sort of my family. I've got photographs of my family as human beings, and then I have them as dogs. The I love the tree. dog family tree. I do. <laughs> what made you think to do that? That's just my sense of humor, I guess. I don't know. I've always done it. When I give talks, I always show dogs. The first thing I do is I call my my lecture. Usually, if you can't hide it, decorate it. And I'm wearing a little toupee, and then the toupee falls off my head, and you see the bald spot. <laughs> and then uh, I show my family. I, I speak in broken English, and I say, my mama said to me when I grow up, uh, to be a bigger boy like a papa, what are you going to do? And I say, I don't know, Mama. Uh, she maybe you like to be actor because you like to be on the stage. And I said, no, I don't know. And my brother said, maybe you should be psychiatrist because you're so crazy. And I'm going to say, oh, I, mean, I don't know. And my father say, you know, you have such a big mouth, you should become a lawyer. So I combine all the things, uh, actor, uh, psychiatrist, lawyer, become interior decorator. And then I asked for a show of hands in the audience, and, of course, lots of people raised their hands. And I said, I pick on one, and I said, isn't it true you have to be an actor? You have to make believe you like their house, you like their furniture, and most of all, you like their family, their children, their husband, whatever. Then you have to figure out uh, what they like, why don't they like blue or yellow or red or green, so you have to be a psychiatrist. Then you send the bill, and you have to be a lawyer to collect your money. And uh, then I ask them a few other questions, and we have a lot of fun. And uh, that's that's what the book is like. It's pretty much the same thing. And I tell about my family, and, and um, I show photographs of us. We came over on the Mayflower. Uh, some came by sea. Uh, my family happened to come by Mayflower moving in storage by land. <laughs> and um, that relates to a story about a neighbor that we had who was always sort of stuck on herself. And I said to my mother one day, What's wrong with Mrs. Smith? You know, and she said, "Oh, well, her forebears came over on the Mayflower, and one day they were moving." And I said, "Mom, Mrs. Adams is going back. Oh, Mrs. Smith is going back on the Mayflower, and the trucks were all outside, filling up, being filled up." <laughs> so anyway, I've always had fun, and you have to laugh, and you have to keep. I mean, decorating is not brain surgery, but it's important that you can relate to your client and their needs and wishes and, you know, make them live in a better way than they did before. It's also very personal. You, know, you want to bring a lot of their personal things into the picture so it doesn't become your room. It's it's their room. And so it's, 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 it's a lot of fun um, if you keep a smile on your face. If you take it too serious, you know, if you have a, a client who can't make up her mind or his mind, that can be a disaster because indecision is – the worst possible um, condiment that you could put into a house. How do you work with clients? Do you present them the design, or do you all, is it more of a fluid, you work with client and shop with them, or do you have a certain way that you um, work with clients? Well, what I do is I will meet with them, uh, preferably at their house or their apartment, because then you can see the way they have lived and what they have to work with, and whatever and then i'll sit and think about it and i might start doing some floor plans you know sort of sketches and maybe uh sketches of you know what the room could look like and then i do um you know i do a professional floor plan and then i do a color plan because color is very important in the sense of which rooms you're going to use in the daytime or at nighttime so you might have a center hall of a house a a, a nature color sort of green or yellow or sand or blue for sky and then off off of those colors you have other colors i grew up in an all-white house and i really really couldn't i never found it very nice at night or in the daytime i never i just never felt warm in it it was cold and uh, my bedroom had pale blue walls and a fake fireplace for santa claus my mother didn't like the idea of Santa coming down the chimney in the den, and um, uh, you know that was you know it's fantasy. You're a child, you know you're a child. You don't realize all those things. But um, she had uh, she had an affinity. She was Harriet Craig and uh, Joan Crawford when she was in a film called Harriet Craig. Harriet Craig was obsessed with cleanliness, and um, I mean if you if someone was smoking. Before they even finished their cigarette, she was cleaning out the ashtray. Um, she was so obsessed with um, 
anything the carpets made footprints and we used to carpet our uh, not carpet ourselves we used to carpet clean ourselves out of the house so that when we came back we could tell if anybody had entered the house um, yeah. my mother had a friend who used to carpet herself into bed so in the morning she could see if anybody came near her well she was a spinster <laughs> But she stayed, she carpeted herself into bed, and she could see footprints if someone had been there, and luckily they never were. Um, but what happens to the what happens to the uh, vacuum cleaner? You just leave it by the bed while you just cleaning, leave it by or? the bed. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That's all she did. Or I think I think my mother's uh, cousin, uh, she would slide it under the bed. Uh, okay. So they were so neurotic about those things in, in those days, you know, because. Just the way they were. I love the story of how you went to England and you went to John Fowler's shop and you didn't know him and then you just knock on the door, the window, and you all become like best friends. I, that's a great story, I well, thought. Well, that, that was a wonderful story because I had been to England as a student in 61 with the Parsons School and I stayed there uh, pretty much the whole year. Uh, and came back and got a job with Elizabeth Draper, who was a um, New York Society, um, very, um, how would we say, um, oh, conservative sort of type. She had a lot of style, and uh, she was a lovely woman. She was not Dorothy Draper. Dorothy Draper was her husband's first wife. So she married Dr. Draper when Dorothy Draper left her husband. So I did Mr. that Draper before. Draper seemed to like decorators. I beg your pardon? I said Dr. Draper apparently likes decorators. <laughs> yeah, the Draper, Mrs. Dorothy Draper did all the sort of hotels and mm-hmm. and um, lobbies, and, and she did private people's houses. She was well known for stripes and cabbage roses. She's done lots of clubs, private clubs around the country, but she's done a great deal, uh, and it's here. Mrs. Draper was a quiet decorator, and she was more social you know, um, in Long Island and New York and, and uh, you know, did a lot of wonder. We had a, they had wonderful clients, the Eisenhowers, the Auchincloss's, the Houghtons. I mean, um, she worked at the White House. She did rooms at Blair House. Um, she's an amazing woman. But I didn't last there too long, unfortunately. My hair was about an inch longer than it is now because I'm almost bald. Uh, but I didn't have very long hair, but she seemed to t- tell her secretary that I ought to get a haircut, and I didn't. And um, I don't know, I, I got an offer to go to work for somebody named Keith Irvine, who had come here from England having worked for John Fowler for nine years as one of his assistants. And the friend of mine who was my age, who he was an associate of the firm, said, you ought to really come over. We have an opening, and you'd fit right in. Uh, Keith worked for Mrs. Parrish and also for John Fowler, and it's the sort of thing you like, you know, the English look. So uh, when I got fired, I took a job with Keith, and um, I lasted a year, and I learned so much. And a year later, well, I started my own business in 63, and um, I was going to England in 64, and I asked Mr. Irvine for a letter of recommendation to meet John Fowler and to see Nancy Lancaster's, my favorite, but a yellow room, and still my favorite room in the world. Um, Are you familiar with it? Yes. yes, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's in the book. It's in the book, right at the front of the book. So um, that was what I wanted to do, and I had a whole list of things I wanted to do. They were all on index cards. And I was walking along Burke Street and looking at the window of this shop, an antique shop, and I thought, boy, I've never seen anything like this in my life. It's absolutely amazing. I didn't know what it was. I looked upstairs, up above, and sure enough on the sign it said, Sybil Colfax and John Fowler. So I went to the door and knocked on the door. They were closed for lunch. But the caretaker, I told him I was from New York. He said, we'll be opening in five minutes. You might as well come in, come in you know, when as well come in. And uh, he said, do you know Mr. Fowler? And I said, no. Would you like to meet him? I said, that would be great. So we called him, and he said, tell the boy to come around at uh, 6 for a drink. So I arrived, and he had was sitting at his desk, and his room was filled with every color fabric imaginable from the walls, all, you know, 35 different shades of pink, 35 different shades of lavender, blue, yellow. I mean, he was surrounded by all these beautiful objects. And um, 
we started talking. He started laughing, and I, he said, I said, well, what, you know, I didn't know what I was, what I said. Well, I had my my cards, and it said Cecil Hicks, uh, David Beaton, Nancy Elchester, and I'd like to see the famous Yellow Room and whatever. And he's laughing more, and he said, dear boy, he said, you've got it all wrong. He said, it's David Hicks, Cecil Beaton, and Nancy <laughs> Lancaster, and I'll certainly take you to see her room. So, um, And then I was wearing a pocket square that I bought that day, and he had the same exact pocket square in his pocket. So it, it just was very funny, you know, but he was like an old headmaster, you know. And he took me by to Mrs. Lancaster the next evening for her it was her birthday, and we brought a bottle of champagne. She received us in her bedroom, and um, she said, oh, these dreadful Americans. I've had 48 sets of dirty sheets in my country house last month. And I turned to him, and I said, uh, excuse me, sir, what did you say this lady's name was? You know, where is she from? Because she's American. You know, she wasn't English. And with that, the phone rang, and he grabbed me by my ear and pulled me out of the room and her secretary kept running down the what's the matter with this man, this young man is so rude he just insulted Mrs. Lancaster. And um we went back in when she was off the phone to say goodnight. And the next day I sent her some truffles and then he said, Well if you um can behave, he said, um, I'll take you out to her house in the country this weekend and so and then you can come to the cottage, his cottage. And so we went to see her and she came running out of the house to greet us and I was in the car, the motor running and she was hugging him and saying, how dare you bring this dreadful man to my house? And she was winking at me, and I thought, oh, my God, I'm I'm getting out of here in a hurry. He started yelling at me, yeah, get out of that car, you darn fool. You know. So she had us in the house, and uh, she showed us every nook and cranny. And it was unbelievable. But they were like an old married couple. They always fought. And they had been in business since the late 40s. And um, we're talking now 1964. So um, then we drove to his house. I ran out of petrol, and that got him really angry. And by the time we got to the house, his cook had fixed dinner, and there were several guests waiting. And um, he always had people from um, the shop, decorated from the shop, or the sh- lampshade maker, or or some former uh, hunchback. Uh, but he'd always have guests waiting, and he'd, there'd be some people from the shop, some lady, umpty ump, who has a, who had a humpback who used to be a short, a very beautiful showgirl. And um, it was always fun. And we'd go to see their friends, and um, they'd say, how are you enjoying your visit? And I said, oh, terrible. I said, the beds are like hammocks. I said, there's a big hole in the middle of the mattress. And they really were. And John would be sat there horrified. How could you say such a thing? <laughs> but it was very funny. They enjoyed it, and they had a good We always had a good time, and I went back for 12 years. And... Um, and then he died. He unfortunately had uh, throat cancer from smoking, and very sad. But we became great friends, and and Colfax and Fowler used to visit a couple of times a year, shopping, and when days when you could buy really pretty furniture for very little money, and not today. And taste has changed. I mean, taste today is basically um, there's no sense of history attached to decoration. They stopped teaching at the Parsons School in 1971. Stanley Barrows, who was the greatest professor of the 18th, 19th, and 20th, but mostly 18th and 19th centuries, um, he left, and the school now only uh, teaches 20th century decorating. So when we see work in magazines of the young decorators, you don't see any uh, references to the past. It's as though the people who are living in these houses never had anything else but modern, you know, contemporary furnishings. And you can go to Crate and Barrel, you can go to um, Ballard Catalog, you can go to all these places and buy all these very stylish pieces, but there's none of it has any history, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. What I don't understand is people don't use, I mean, even if you have contemporary furniture, they don't even use antique accessories anymore. They just go and buy these crappy vases and, oh, it's, I don't understand. Well, they, and they decorate. If there's a hole in the picture, you know, they just put something on the floor. They put seven vases on a table. It all looks like a shop. It has nothing yeah. to do. I just saw the show house in Southampton this last weekend, and while some of the rooms were more personable, 
so many of them did just look like they were just, you know, I hate the word accessories because it sounds like an automobile, but they basically are just accessorized with objects, and it has nothing to do with the people living in the room. Um, and yeah. you have that feeling of emptiness, you know. And um, I think I've always thought that if you came from a traditional background when you got older, you'd want more contemporary things and vice versa. I grew up in a contemporary 30s house. I want old things. So I don't know whether that's true of everyone, but so many of my clients over the years that grew up with wonderful family possessions, they don't want them anymore. They consider it grandma's furniture. You know, they don't want the old look. They don't like brown wood. They don't like uh, painted furniture. They like, you know, sort of 50s, um, all that retro stuff, 60s, 70s. And then, of course, the 80s were very big on English country chintz and whatever. But it's funny how the the pendulum swings back and forth, you know. Fascinating. Well, no, but, you know, a, a room, I say this on my blog all the time, a room decorated with antique furniture and antique possessions will always look current. Uh, it will never date. You know, you can look at old, you know, like even in your book, the, 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 the rooms that you did 30 years ago don't date. They still look current. Now, you know, fabrics date a little bit and color colors date, but not the antiques. They just make something look so classic. Well, it's 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 true in a sense. And I look at my book and I look through rooms I did in 1963, show house rooms that I did. Uh, Stanley Barris told us when we were in Paris at the Parsons School that we were in the Modern Museum there, and he looked at the painters, the um, uh, Matisse, Bonnard, Vuillard, and he said, "If you don't understand the way these painters use color, and the way they use color with shadow and did all kinds of." Um, you know, they gave their paintings depth and, and a, a wonderful sort of feeling of being alive. He said, if you don't understand these colors, you'll never make a good decorator. And I've always remembered that. And color is my cheapest weapon as a decorator because a can of paint, you can change the entire feeling of a room. I mean, I remember once I had a client who had a pale yellow, lemon yellow living room and a pale chintz, flowered chintz, and beautiful colors, green and um, blue and pale blue and light green and yellow and whatever. And after about eight years, it started to look tired. And she said, you know, I think we have to change the fabrics. And I said, nope, a can of paint. Let's do the walls dark green. And we painted them dark green, and the whole room came back to life. Everything had a new, you know, sort of life to it. And it it was wonderful, and she loved it. And... uh, a can of paint is decorator's cheapest weapon. You can do a great deal, as with slipcovers. Slipcovers are another way to change the look of a room. I remember Brooke Astor, who was never a client of mine, Albert Hadley was her client, and I remember how she had four sets of slipcovers. Every season she changed the slipcovers in every room. So she never got tired of them. And then, of course, uh, the accessories, which the objects, she would change those as well. So you'd have a different tablescape for each season, which if you can afford to do is great. And it's not an expensive thing to have to do or to do. It's actually a very um, um, inexpensive way of redoing things. And I think I read somewhere that you said that if you just leave things where they are, you stop paying attention to them, no matter what it is. Well, if you love your objects and love the things you've collected, I mean, you love looking at them, seeing them all the time. And I happen to be a a hoarder-type collector, and, um, I mean, my tabletops are full of stuff, and I never know what to put away or or leave behind. Or I just love looking at all. I mean, my dog wall, I I call them my ancestors. They all have more hair than I do, unfortunately. But I love looking at them. I get great pleasure. I wouldn't get great pleasure out of looking at a landscape because if I look out the window, I have a landscape, and I'm like that. It changes with the seasons. But um, I don't know. It's it's just funny. There are things that you get attached to, and they become a part of your life, and, and you enjoy them, and they give you – I get a smile on my face when I look at them, you know. I'm looking right now. I'd hate to tell you I'm looking in my office. I'm looking at two pineapple – Two tall pineapple um, 
things on uh, in urns that are painted metal and wooden urns, and one of them has three uh, straw hats on. I never wear a hat, <laughs> but I like the straw hats. And then I've got some um, artificial parrot tulips jammed into them, and down below there are about uh, 16 boxes of miniature uh, bars of soap that somebody gave me once. And I have this thing about putting things in a place and they just stay there and I get used to them. Um, I would say that maybe, um, well, I don't know what I'd say about myself, but I sort of tend to be a, um, a hoarder, you know. But I love what I have and I love knowing that I have them. And I don't mind giving them away someday or, you know, as years go by, our houses are really like living gardens because they continually grow. I don't ever think a room is ever called finished because you constantly, you know, add to it, subtract from it, you inherit things, and that makes it living, and that makes it, you know, organic and living. And I love what you wrote about the floor plan in the living room. You described, uh, you know, like the best floor plan. You might know that yeah. Yeah, the the one that you were talking, I think it goes back to you were saying that every decorator should study 18th and um, 19th century uh, design and floor plans because in that, if you don't understand that, then you you really need to understand that as as a foundation to how a setup of a room should be. Is that what you're talking about, Joni? Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that's the idea of crescent setting. In other words, you have, in the 18th century, they would have a settee in the middle of the room, maybe two of them on either side of the fireplace or whatever, and then around them would be chairs that would almost be in a semicircular fashion so that you could have conversation along with little tables to put down your drink or your uh, cigarette or whatever. And um, I always say, after you arrange your furniture so that the sofas are talking to the chairs and uh, try to have more than one grouping, conversation grouping in a room and possibly even three. Um, but have it all arranged so it's comfortable so when your guests arrive they don't have to pull a chair from across the room or try to nudge in on a chair that's already being, you know, sat on by someone and they sit on the arm and break your arm. So the basic thing is that you do that, or the next thing is, the next day after you've had a party, just look at the way your friends had rearranged your furniture because you can see where they were comfortable. So that is very important to think about and make your room look cozy, attractive, and also that rooms look like you, that they have your personality, so that when you're out of the room, it looks like it's your room because it just reflects all your, you know, likes, dislikes, and idiosyncrasies. I can't, I can't say that. That's a big word. Idiosyncrasies. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think rooms, I mean, so much of what we see today with young people that are decorating, I call it uh, decorating that is, um, oh, God, what was the word I'm trying to think? Um, hmm, um Desecrate. I always, I do say oftentimes desecrating, but I call it inferior decorating because it's not really you're not thinking about how to use the room. Oftentimes you'll see a sofa with no table next to it, no lamp next to it, no chair next to it. Um, you'll see a chair way over in the corner, or you'll see two chairs all by themselves in the middle of the room. What are they doing? You know, and there's no thought about how does that room. Um, work and the master of that was a man called Billy Baldwin who was very famous in the 50s and 60s and 70s and I remember going to his cottage in Nantucket when he retired and his little dressing room he had a chair and an ottoman and a table next to it on a floor lamp he could read he could sit there he could change his shoes socks whatever and the little table had on it a shoehorn it had a shoe brush. It had everything he needed to get ready for his day or night to go out. And um, that's what you want to think about, how people live, you know, and how how it's going to be comfortable for them. Pers- personable is the most important thing. Now, have you dealt with in your career, I think one of the things that we, a lot of us experience are the clients who 
you know, we want them to live in the comfortable manner that works for their lifestyle, but then they bring in, oh, I can't have this nice thing, my kids will ruin it. I can't have a coffee table because my kids will jump on it. You know, how, have you experienced that and how do you, you know, do you have, how do you recommend to sort of get people to understand that the room needs to be comfortable for everybody in the room? You know, that's tough, but I do that when I do a floor plan. And usually uh, I do two or three floor plans, and usually the first one I do is the one that works because they say, well, how did you think of that? Well, that's my job. I mean, that's what I've been doing all my life. I walk into rooms and I rearrange other people's furniture. That's probably why I'm never invited to anybody's house because they're um, you can come to mine. Let me see what they've done. <laughs> but I do when I go to people's houses. If I'm being entertained, or certainly if it's a job, I'm thinking seriously. But oftentimes I go to people's houses for cocktails or dinner or whatever, and I look around and think, "Gee, that would look better there. That would be better over there." But I don't tell them unless they ask me because uh, I wouldn't want to embarrass them. But uh, you are aware of your surroundings all the time, and. Um, it amazes me, really, how how people do arrange furniture. Uh, they do everything a sort of a standard way of, you know, a sofa, two chairs, coffee table, two tables, two lamps, you know, everything is paired off. And um, just just the way they think, that's, that's the way they do it. And so many of them don't think about reading. They don't think about lighting, you know, in a room, how it should be, you know, pools of light around a room that doesn't reflect in your eyes, like overhead lighting gives you horrible um, shadows under your eyelids or whatever. Um, you want you want the whole room to be comfortable and attractive for the people who are going to be sitting in it, and uh, not only for yourself, for them too. Uh, Mr. Buwada, is there anyone working today that you admire as much as you did, like John Fowler and... Uh, Sister Parrish, is is there anyone today? Well, they're, they're, unfortunately, most of them aren't with us anymore. I mean, George Stacy was one who was an extremely talent, talented fellow. He didn't have a personality to go along with it. He was a sort of misogynist, and um, he did work for Ava Gardner, uh, Grace Kelly, uh, a lot of social families here in New York, the Paleys, and um, a lot of Long Island. In fact, he he was centered in Long Island in the Locust Valley area, and um, lived out there most of the time. He also lived in France, but he had an amazing sense of of decoration, of how to hang foot pack, uh, pictures, paintings, place objects. And he's got a book coming out. He doesn't have it, but a, a young lady by the name of Maureen Footer is doing a. Uh, George Stacy book right as we're speaking for it solely and it'll be out next April 1st uh, and it's a, it'll be a wonderful book. There's an old book called Finest Rooms done by Kate Tweed published by Viking Press that had it at the time when it came out in the early 60s 12 of the top decorators so you ask about young decorators there are a lot of young people out there doing work um, they either learned from these people that that I spoke about, the old stalwarts, you know, like Mrs. Parrish. Albert Hadley was one of her was her partner at the end of her life, and he was a great teacher. Um, but there are a lot of people out there who are doing, um, you know, pastiches of that work. I see girls uh, and guys that do my kind of look, and it just it amazes me because. They do it. Uh, they do a take on it, and it's their own take, which is very healthy. Because I remember when John Fowler saw my third apartment, my fourth apartment, the last one that I had, and he looked at it and he said, "Well, dear boy," he said, "I wish that you're going to copy me. You would have done a better job." And I said, "Oh no, sir, I wasn't copying you. I said I was influenced by you," which is true. It was my version of Nancy Lancaster's Yellow Room, but it didn't come close to it, but it was a very well received and published room over the years. I lived there for nine years back in the late 60s and early 70s, and um, I became known for doing that kind of English style. Um, today, there's so many of these young people that are, 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 well, I call it young people in their 50s, but David Kleinberg, for example, he's a great uh, 
student of Albert Hadley's, and he does wonderful contemporary things. But, you know, so much of it, it doesn't really have what you see uh, in show houses today and in magazines. It's all sort of a pastiche of the 50s and the 60s. And um, they seem to like, you know, all of that kind of quasi-modern that came in after the Second World War. I find yeah. a lot of it very cold. It's not very warm. You know, it's it's not too personable. But, I mean, some of it is, is very good and some of it is very mediocre. But, you know, nowadays it's so easy to be a decorator. You know, you just have a card printed, you know, Izzy Dizzy decorator, you know, and uh, they go out. And I mean, so many of my clients over the years I was in competition with, and so many people today are on the Internet. They, You tell them you need a cabinet in this corner, and the next time you come back with two pictures or three photographs of a cabinet, they've got 20 that they found on the Internet. So they're in competition with you a lot of time, you know. And um, a lot of them also are decorators themselves. So, you know, you're working for a decorator. And um, listen, it's their jobs, and it's fun to work and, and do it because that's what I love to do. So it doesn't bother me, but um, that's the way it is today. Do you find today with, um, you know, clients and homeowners who have access, you know, everybody has access to everything um, it's harder to work with people today versus the time when they hired you and you created their space. Yeah, I would say it's more difficult today because they're so involved in it, you know, and um, it's so easy on the Internet. I mean, I've talked to antique dealers and they tell me they do more business on the Internet than they do in their shop. Mm-hmm. So the Internet has really taken over people's lives and more, you know, in a lot of ways in the home. Uh, making it very easy for them to see things and shop at home uh, by me. I, like I could do a scheme and send it to a client in Texas, and she says, oh, that's great, I love it, but maybe I'd like something else on that chair or whatever. But they, uh, it's very easy to work that way. I, I really enjoy it. Because the other time, you'd have to bring a bag full of samples and show them everything, and maybe they wouldn't like anything, or maybe they would like something. But this way, you can do a scheme on your you know screen and send it and it's a lot of work is is um done that way today and that's how you're doing a lot of the work your work with clients today well i work with, yeah but i have like a client in texas and i would send back she would send me the room the way i arranged it when i left and how they felt they wanted another chair there and i'd say to her well, why don't you put the chair where you think it is and send me a picture, and I'll take a look and tell you what I think. And one job I did in Texas recently, last summer, um, she found that the library office for her husband was kind of a little dark. And I, she had one wall with three television sets on it, you know, wall uh, screen sets. And I said, that wall is so dreary against the dark blue walls um, why don't you frame your television sets with gold frames? And so she did it, finally. It took me six months to get her to do it, but I got an email last night, and she said, the frames are ordered, and she said, I think you're right. It's going to brighten up the room. Well, that's the sort of thing that you can do online, you know, but, I mean, you couldn't do a whole house online because, um, you know, it would be a lot of work. You'd want to see it, but if you've seen it, and you've done it, and then there are things to be added to it, and you send things out, they can send you a photograph of it, and you can say that's great or not great or whatever. So it's, it's a Thanks new so thing much. today. Um, uh, it makes it a lot easier for the client and for the decorator if it's out of town. But in town, you want to see the people, and you want to see it you know, on the spot. Yeah, I'm working. I'm doing. Actually, I just took on a 51-room house in, in Florida that has to Ooh, be done next that. year. And, uh, but did I read you don't you don't have a staff anymore? I haven't had anybody working for me directly for 12, 14 years. I am a I'm very difficult to work for. In fact, in my book, if you see at the end of it, I don't know if it's in that in what you've seen because it isn't printed yet. It's being printed, but you don't have a print edition. And I think I I talk about a certain decorator. Who did? Who was very talented? Who chose not to take the position with my firm, but to all the others who did and lived to regret it. 
Uh-huh. I'm, a, I'm a perfectionist, and I think I can. I always think I can do it myself quicker. By the time I explain it, and I've trained so many people, I've had so many um, secretarial positions where they really want to be a decorator, and eventually they leave and they go out on their own. And while they're working for you, they, you know, it's very difficult because you have to teach everything. And by the time you've taught someone, you can do it yourself. So I like to do things myself and get them done. And um, it uh, works out very well. And I don't take on that many jobs a year. Um, I never have. Uh, And I've had as many as three people working here at one time. But, I mean, every morning I'd hear them come in and discuss their night before dinner date or their date or or whatever, they're on the phone. I caught one guy. He was supposed to be drawing, doing architectural drawings. He was drawing sketches of pretty ladies, you know. And I looked at his book when he went out to lunch, and his whole book was, he was doing that on my time, you know. Uh-huh. And I could do it myself quicker. So I don't have anybody in anymore. So I have a, you know, I have people that come in and do typing and the bookkeeper, all that sort of thing. But not any decorating assistants. I just got, I got tired of being a teacher, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So you have somebody have, who, Pardon me? I was just going to say, so you have, like, a bookkeeper who then maybe places your orders and sees the sort of trafficking of materials. I do a lot, do a lot of those things. I, I get it done in a mm-hmm. If I told you, if you were working here and I'd say, order six yards of this, two yards of cereal, or you, you'd say, did you want this one or did you want that one? I'd go crazy. And I do it myself, and it's over in ten minutes, and it's done. And... Um, I basically um, enjoy what I do. I don't mind working 14 hours a day, and I work weekends, and I have a good time. And I, 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 I it's like an artist that paints. I consider decorating a room the way an artist paints a canvas. You do a little bit at a time, and the rest when the spirit moves you. And mm-hmm. you have to find things and and define fabrics and. Scheming and just made me thought of a client. I told her I'd get her a stripe fabric of her chair, and I still haven't done it these two days. I better do that today. Anyway, um, no, nobody, nobody that's worked for me um, has been able to re- reproduce a room the way I would have done it because everybody sees things in a different, in a different light, and you, you don't think. Um, you know about whatever it is. This decorating has been on my mind since I was a little boy, and uh, the way people lived in their houses. And I always loved my, you know, waspy friends at school who had all kinds of, you know, plants, flowers, magazines, books all over the place. And I lived in a house that was so sterile. I mean, a, 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 a speck of dust was not allowed to live in the room more than ten minutes. I mean, my mother was. Wiping it off, you know, and and it was it just it was amazing, and um, I don't think that way anymore. I couldn't care less. I think of dust as a protective coating for fine furniture, and if it doesn't move, I don't move it. It looks sort of nice, actually, dust. I like the shapes when I have a fan next to my bed because I can't sleep with air conditioning. And the bottom of the fan has dust on it. It has fingerprints, and I look at it and I just think, what a pretty abstract picture that is. But if I had it dusted, it would all go up my nose probably, so I don't touch it. But um, that's just me. I'm kind of uh, uh, I'm not neurotic. I don't. I don't think. I'm just more of a, more of an eccentric, maybe. Mr. Buwada, uh, yes, one ma'am. last question. I think it's been a, a, over an hour now. But one last question: What are your favorite? What is your like favorite chants that you? I mean, is there one favorite or two favorites that you? A favorite uh-huh. floral chintz? Floral chintz. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, my favorite favorite is something called Floral Bouquet. It's from Lee Jofa, and it was a block print, and I still have yards of it uh, printed uh, with blocks. Um, and it's the chintz that's on my – it's in every apartment I had. I had seven apartments. And from 63 to the present, I still have it. I love it. Um, I've never gotten tired of it, and um, it's just very beautiful. I, and in fact, it's so beautiful. Mrs. Parrish copied it and put it in her living room in New York. And I told her she was a copycat. Uh, <laughs> and when she did it, she came by the show house, and I had a little uh, landing with that chintz 
uh, in a painting of my room. And she said, oh, I'm using that in my drawing room. And I said, you old copycat. I used to love to tease her. She was a great, um, she was wonderful. And um, she teased me too. But um, in the book, you'll see the chintz in my rooms. You'll also see a pair of trousers that I had made when I went to a party of a client from New York and their, to their country house where they were dubious about inviting me because their country decorator used that chintz in their living room. And so I arrived at the party with a pair of trousers and they took a photograph of me in the chair covered in the chintz and presented it to me on New Year's Day in a plastic frame. And uh, there's a photograph of Mrs. Parrish on the other page with the chintz on her sofa, and I write underneath it that she was a copycat. Um, I mean, you have to have a sense of humor in this business. You can't take anything serious. and um, It's fun. I mean, decorating is fun. That was Dorothy Draper said that. Mm-hmm. But it could also be um, misery if you make it a misery. So you want to keep it light and enjoy it and, uh, you know, have a good time. Well, this has been very, very interesting conversation. And and when is the book coming out? September? It'll be out October 8th. It's Rizzoli. It's called Fifty right. Years of American Decoration by yours truly, written by me and Emily Evans-Erdman, who's a wonderful writer. And mm-hmm. she transcribed a lot of what I had to say. And then in the book are cartoons that appeared in the New Yorker uh, that tend to be about decorating. And... Um, that's funny. I mean, it's a funny book, and and I think when the when Hollywood comes after me and they want to make a movie of this book, I'm mm-hmm. going to think about you girls to play the clients. How's that? Okay. <laughs> and who's going to play you? <laughs> who's going to play you? Who would play me? Gosh, I don't know. Who do you think? Hmm. I can't think. I can't think. Uh, somebody who might have been good, but he's not around much anymore, was I'm looking at a little doll of him up on the shelf here. Uh, I can't think of his name. Pee Wee Herman. Remember Pee Wee Herman? Yeah. He's around. Yeah, he's around. Yeah. I'm not sure. Andy, he's, maybe Andy know. Cohen. I don't know. Who knows? Andy Cohen. Yeah. Andy yeah. Cohen. That's so funny. Well, he does, he's a very handsome guy, and he's funny. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I don't. I don't put myself in that category. I'm funny looking, and um, my rooms are handsome. I hope. <laughs> well, anyway, half of that is true. Screen, I hope. Pardon me. I said half of that is true. The second half. <laughs> oh, the second half. Yeah. The rooms are well, handsome. Thank you very, very much. It's been fun. Thank you so much. Thank you so yeah, much. Thank you very so much. Nice. Thank you very, very much. This has been the Skirted Roundtable with Megan Arquette from Beach Bungalow 8, Joni Webb from Coat to Texas, and I'm Linda Merrill from Surroundings. Thank you so much for joining us. You can visit us online at www.skirtedroundtable.blogspot.com or download our podcasts from iTunes. Search for the Skirted Roundtable. Thank you again, and we'll be back soon.